Recently, I've been reading a book entitled Mornings on Horseback. It's about the Roosevelt family. You may have been reading it as well. I have to admit, there's so much I did not know about the Roosevelt family. I've been learning about Cornelius Van Stack Roosevelt. People called him CVS. It turned out that he was born in 1794. He would die in 1871. And he was really the one who created great wealth for the Roosevelt family. He had inherited the business, Roosevelt and Son, from his father and his grandfather, who had also done very well. And he started with a fortune, but he truly became the multimillionaire. He began importing plate glass. He made lots of money. He had money. When there was a downturn in the economy in the 1830s, he began buying lots of building land in Manhattan. And so when the economy went up, he stood to make a fortune. He helped to start Chemical Bank, which would become Chase Bank. No, he did all kinds of things that just made so much money, and that was his goal. He was really kind of a recluse. He didn't really get out in society. He didn't do other things. He was all about business, making money. He worked hard, and he did it. He had five sons. Whenever one of his sons got married, he gave them a lovely new home as their wedding present. One of the sons that he had was Theodore Roosevelt Sr. Theodore Roosevelt Sr., well, he would have a son, Theodore Roosevelt Jr., or Teddy Roosevelt, who would become the 26th president of the United States. Theodore Roosevelt Sr. would also have a granddaughter, Eleanor Roosevelt, who would ultimately marry FDR. Now, it's a fascinating family to begin to understand. But it was Theodore Roosevelt Sr. who was different. He got involved in the family business, and he did well, but that wasn't his first priority. It was family and faith. He had four children, and he loved them in an incredible way that dads didn't, didn't tend to do in the middle 1800s. He had a daughter, Bammy. Bammy was, had a disease that began to affect her muscles and her bones, caused some curvature of the spine. But he was always there for her, always getting her medical treatment, doing everything he could to lift her spirits and to make her smile, to give her a good life. He was so tender. His son, Teddy, had asthma. And usually at nights when he began to have an attack, and so he would get up and take his son and hold him and walk him through the night until finally the breathing would get better. It was interesting what Teddy Roosevelt would say about his father. My father, Theodore Roosevelt, was the best man I ever knew. He combined strength and courage with gentleness, tenderness, and great unselfishness. He would not tolerate in us, children, selfishness or cruelty. No, Theodore Roosevelt, he had some standards. And these were things the family was going to abide by. And I believe he had those standards because of his faith. It was known that every morning when he got up, he got dressed and came downstairs. There would be the four children and they would sit on the sofa there they would read scripture, and then they would have their prayers. You see, Theodore Roosevelt believed you needed to start each day in a time of devotion and prayer to focus on God 
and that would then affect the way you went out and lived your day. And it certainly did him. He went out into the world and he didn't just love his family. He was so kind to the stranger. During that time, it was well known, there was probably 20,000 teenagers, young people, who were homeless and on the streets in New York. And so he started the Children's Aid Fund. He helped to build an orphanage for boys. And then he would go visit that orphanage on Sunday afternoons to talk to them, to encourage them to be strong and to work hard and try. He built an orthopedic hospital, obviously because of his Bambi. Now, he helped to found the Metropolitan Museum of Art. He was just a man who was incredibly kind and giving. I want to read you what Theodore Roosevelt Sr. had to say. I've always thought that the word unselfishness combined in one word more of the teachings of the Bible than any other word in the language. The word unselfishness more the teachings of the Bible than any other word. Theodore Roosevelt was unselfish. He was incredibly kind. This morning, I want to continue on with this sermon series, The Kindness Project. For the third week now, we're introducing what our theme for the year is going to be. You and I are going to be committed to The Kindness Project in 2016. And so these first few weeks, we're trying to figure out exactly what that means and what are we being asked to do. We have said that it was Jesus who said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this all people will know you're my disciples. It's because we have been loved by Christ, we feel we're called to go out and to love others. And that's why what we've done is we've passed out a calendar for you to be able to put on your uh, breakfast table or put on your desk that reminds you each day to start your day like Theodore Roosevelt. A time of prayer, devotion, remembering you are loved by God. And then from that, we're called to go out and to, to show a kindness, to do at least one act of kindness every day, to be required to think, who can I be kind to? Family? Strangers? Now, I just got to tell you, I, I'm really, really pleased at how this has generated conversation. We've received hundreds of requests from online, on television, wanting to participate in this right along with all of us. It's been very exciting that I know that many of you have been emailing and coming up and telling me your stories. I went and did this. I went and did that. Here's how I was kind. And I've loved to hear them. It's generated other questions. I had some people coming up and saying, Bob, we've had a discussion and we wonder if you do two acts of kindness on one day, can you have one carry forward for the next day? I'm thrilled it's causing discussion for us to be consciously thinking about it. You know, that, that's what wearing the bracelet is supposed to be about. We, we've given you bracelets you can put on, and I, I say put it on your right hand, and you go through the day, and it'll help you think, have I been kind? And when you do, then put it on your left hand, or I use your church coin, I put it in your pocket, and if you've been kind, put it in the other pocket, and you'll sometimes discover you're coming to the end of the day, and... Maybe you hadn't done it yet. I, 
I had a night this last week. I'd come near the end of the day. I was, I was with a few other friends, and we were out just getting some dessert, nothing really heavy or big. We, but we had talked and talked for quite some time at the table. It was now getting late, and I looked down, and my bracelet was still on my right hand. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, I'm running out of time. And so I pulled out $5, and I walked over as we were leaving to our waitress and said, thank you for being so kind to us tonight. And I handed her the $5, and she broke into this smile and said, thank you, thank you so much for being so kind. Boom, change that bracelet there. (laughs) That's the idea. It reminds you, have you gotten it done today? It's easy to forget. So we're making a commitment. We're going to try to do this. And, And last week we talked about being kind to the family. Being kind to those closest to you. This week what I want to talk about is being kind to the stranger. Sometimes we forget to be kind to our own family because we take them for granted. Sometimes we forget to be kind to our own family because we're just so busy. But for the stranger, it's like we don't know them, so we don't look at them. And if we don't look at them, if we don't take time to see then you never know the opportunity you may have had to be kind, to bless life. And if you and I are saying we are loved by God, then it also stands to reason everybody else is loved by God. And we have been called by Christ to be kind to the stranger. That's why I chose our scripture lesson for this morning. It was very short, but it's because I want to tell you a much bigger story of where it comes from. The story was about Paul. Paul had come to Jerusalem and that had this riot in the temple. The Roman soldiers came and they broke it up. The religious authorities accused Paul of causing the riot. He was going to be put on trial and he appealed to take his case to Rome. He was a Roman citizen, so he could do that. And so Paul is now being taken as a prisoner to leave from Jerusalem to go to Rome to be tried. It was already late in the season, becoming winter. It's not a time to be out sailing on the Mediterranean. But the ship captain decided to try to get there. And so they set sail, hoping to get there. And sure enough, a nor'easter came through. The winds began to blow. It was a terrible storm. And soon the waves began to swamp the boat, and the wind was overwhelming them. They weren't sure what to do, but finally they had to turn and run with the storm. The boat was out of control. It went on for two weeks. They did not eat for two weeks. And then they became aware they were getting close to land. They knew they were going to hit land, but they did not know what land or island it was. And so they emptied everything they could off the boat to get light, to get as close as they could to the land. And finally they hit the rocks. The boat came apart. Everyone went into the water and tried to get to shore. In the end, all 276 people on board made it. And that's why we were reading where it said, after we escaped, we then learned that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled us a fire. Here come all these Roman soldiers. Here come all these prisoners. That'd be easy to escape from, to not want to deal with. And Paul was so taken by The natives showed us unusual kindness. 
to build a fire, they were cold. They were wet to bring them water, food. That's why they would all survive. And remember, Paul is going to go to Rome and finally stop his missionary travels and start writing letters. And that's where most of the New Testament that you and I have would be written when Paul finally gets to Rome. And he will make it, he will survive because there were some natives who showed unusual kindness to the stranger. It's what I want us to think about this morning. And I just want to share with you two ideas. First of all, never underestimate how God can use you to bless life when you choose to show kindness, unusual kindness to the stranger. You and I are called to show kindness and you don't know how it's going to affect that person. And you don't know the ripple effects. But we are called to do it and when you and I choose to be kind to the stranger, ah, you'd be surprised at what it does to their life and other lives, how God uses your courage to show the kindness. I've been reading a fascinating book recently entitled On God's Polishing Wheel. Um, It's written by Kurt and Kathy Leitner. Many of you will know Kurt Leitner and Kathy. Um, Kurt um, has been here now in Oklahoma City for so many years. He and his first wife, Sydney, created a business called Treasures, Inc. It was a wonderful jewelry store. She passed away back in 1995. Um, He's now married to Kathy, and they've been happily married for a number of years. Kurt is now a, a wonderful Methodist. I got to know him while serving on the board of trustees at the Oklahoma City University. He and I have sat together at a number of those meetings, and, and so I, I've had the privilege of getting to know Kurt. He's an amazing man who has been so kind to be involved in so many community activities and has worked so hard at OCU, creating scholarships for students to be able to go to school and to get an education. But he's now written a, his book, an autobiography. His story of how he got there is fascinating. It turned out that Kurt was born in Vienna, Austria, back in uh, 1924. His father was Jewish. His mother was Protestant. And in those days, that was fine. Everybody got along until 1934, when Hitler came to power in the Third Reich. And then he began to move into Austria. And Kurt said it was so strange. You're going to school and you have your best friend and then the next day your best friend is told that he can't speak to you because he was Jewish. It was so hard. He saw what began to happen. And families of married Christians and Jews had to make a decision to be torn apart, to leave the family, to leave the children. And everyone was going to struggle. His mother died. And his father then knew he needed to flee. But he couldn't come to the United States because he had been born in Hungary. And the U.S. had a quota on how many immigrants it would take. And from Hungary it was full, but not from Austria. So his father found he could go to England. But England wasn't a great place to be going. They were being bombed by the Nazis. And if Hitler took it over, then you were right back in his hand. But that's where he could go. 
but he wanted something more for his son, and so he got him passage to come to the United States. Somehow his father and his grandfather found a family, the Turkishers, there in Manhattan. Edward and Helen and their son Robert, they lived in Manhattan and they agreed to sponsor Kurt. And so at 14 years old, they put him on a ship and sent him off to the United States. When he landed there in Manhattan, he had a hat on that said Kurt. And that's what was supposed to be the signal for the family that was waiting for him. They were strangers. They had never met him in his life. He came walking off the boat and they managed to find him. They didn't speak German and he didn't speak English. But they took him home. And there they provided a roof over his head and food to eat to take him in and to care for him. The first thing they did was get him into a school so he could learn English and then set about trying to help him learn how to live in the United States. They truly saved his life. They were being so kind to the stranger. He lived with them about 18 months. And then they got him signed up in one of these programs our government was doing in those days because of the Depression. It was called the Citizen Conservation Corps. It was going to help to to train up young people, teenagers and early adults, how to have a career, to have a skill. And so they took these people from New York and these immigrants and then sent them out across the United States. And they put Kurt on a bus that was headed for Oklahoma. He arrived in Oklahoma in Shawnee in August. It was hot, really hot. They put him in barracks out there in Shawnee and you were crammed in these barracks. It was all these young teenage boys who did not have a home. It turned out that the judges in that day were sending a lot of the juvenile delinquents who didn't have a place to go to this camp. It's a pretty rough place. And the fact that Kurt was there from Austria, Jewish, tall for his age, didn't speak English well, There were two other boys from Austria as well. Oh man, they they made a perfect target to be picked on, to be bullied. It was tough. When you got there, you had to choose what you wanted to learn and he chose the skill of bricklaying. He was going to be a bricklayer. And so he started learning the skill. But there was this lady. Helen Raylan. Helen Raylan was the wife of John, who was the president of Oklahoma Baptist University. And she heard about these these three boys from Austria and how they were being bullied. And she became interested in them and she asked for permission for them to come to her house and to be able to have lunch with them. And so they started going to her home on such a regular basis to have lunch and she would be there to encourage them to love on them, to tell them to be strong and to stay in there, not quit. You needed somebody to love you and encourage her. And Helen was that for them. One day Helen said to them, said to, to Kurt, I have some friends in Oklahoma City, a Jewish ladies, a part of a women's group. Could I tell them about you? Yes. And so she came back the next time they were together and said, these ladies have found the opportunity if you want to work at a jewelry repair store in downtown Oklahoma City as an an apprentice, they have a, a job for you. And so Kurt had to think about it. Do I want to be a bricklayer in August in Oklahoma 
or do I want to get dressed up and work inside in a jewelry store? That's a pretty easy choice. And so at 17 years old, he came to Oklahoma City, and there he began to work in this jewelry repair store in downtown Oklahoma City. He became an apprentice and started learning about the business. And then he got to know the nephew of a man named Mr. Zales, who was starting his own jewelry stores, and he worked for him. And then he got to know a man named Samuel Gordon, and he worked for him. And he really began to learn about the jewelry business. He would marry Sydney, and they would decide together that they wanted to open their own store here in Oklahoma City. And so they opened Treasures, Inc. And they did so very, very well. In the end, he decided to use what he had to bless the lives of others. I want to read you what Kurt had to say. God truly placed some incredible people in my life at the right time. These experiences developed a spirit of gratitude that would remain with me my entire life. To this day, it is a great honor to give money to young students who are beginning their higher education, and it is a special way of honoring those who helped me. People like the Turkishers, people like Helen Rayton, to be there. People who would show unusual kindness to the stranger. And I have a feeling Helen had no idea simply getting a friend to find a job would put a young man on his path for the rest of his life. Or how in his life, out of gratitude, he would bless so many other people and their lives would be changed. It's the ripple effect. You never know how God is going to use your acts of kindness to change people's lives and change the world. Don't underestimate how God can use you when you show the unusual act of kindness to the stranger. And so secondly... Remember, it is because of your pain you will see the opportunity to be kind. It's because of your pain. If you're willing to look into your life and see where you've been hurt, your greatest disappointments, your own regrets, if you look into your life and see where that is, then your eyes can be opened to see the stranger and their needs. The same type of need. You'll know how to be kind. More than anybody else, you'll understand. It's when we want to try to hide our pain, when we decide we don't want to look at others, we miss incredible opportunities. But it's your pain that really provides you the opportunity to be kind. I've always thought of Paul and how his message is one of by faith alone, in God's grace alone, we are saved. Trust in God's grace, he would say. Know how much God is going to love you. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God. You hear this positive message of hope and love and grace, and maybe it's because out of Paul's pain, he would always remember how he stood by and saw 
Stephen stoned. How he was the one who persecuted the church, put Christians in prison, Christians were put to death. It would be such an important part of his life. It didn't define his life. He would move on in God's grace. But you don't forget that. You don't forget how you lived and what you did and the pain you feel. And I think that's what helped him to be able to look into people's lives and knew what they needed to hear and experience. I know some of you will have heard the name Jimmy Wayne. If you like country music, you may know him. Uh, He is a country music singer, as well as a songwriter, as well as an author. He's actually had a couple of books on the New York Times bestseller list, um, Paper Angels and uh, Walk to Beautiful. It's on the New York Times bestseller list right now. Fascinating book and story. Jimmy Wayne is very successful, as I say, uh, as as a singer and songwriter. He's made lots of money, but he looks back on his life and how he got there is fascinating. He grew up in a family that was very dysfunctional. Father deserted the family. Finally, his mother couldn't take it and she abandoned him. He wound up going into the foster care system. And there, when he was 16 years old, you age out. You no longer can be in a foster care home. And so at 16 years old, he found himself homeless and hungry living on the streets. What a place for a 16-year-old boy to be. And one day he got on his bike and he was riding down the road and he said, it's like I I heard a voice. He said, I looked over and there was an older man out in his garage working away and this voice said, go talk to him, ask for a job. Well, it turned out the man was, um, was Russell Costner. He was 75 years old. He was working on a bandsaw. And Jimmy Wayne went over and said, could I mow your grass? And he said, well, I I don't know. You got to talk to the boss. And he pointed to the back of the garage and there was a lady. Her name was B. She was working a radial arm saw. And he walked back to see B. And he said, can I mow your grass? And he said, she looked me from up to down and back up. He said, I'm glad she was able to look on the inside and not just the outside because he was living on the streets. And she said, come back this afternoon. You can mow the grass. So Jimmy came back and he did the best job he could. And he mowed the grass. And when he got through, B had an ice cold Coca-Cola for him. And he drank this Coke and they just talked. He said she was so kind. She said, Come back next week. You mow the grass again. So he came back next week and he mowed the grass again. And when he got through, there she was with this cold ice drink and he had his Coke and they talked. Come back next week. And so he became their lawn boy, taking care of mowing the grass week after week throughout the entire summer. But it was towards the end of the summer that B finally figured out this kid's homeless. He has nowhere to live. And so she said to him, do you want to move in with us? And so he did. Now Russell was a good military man and Russell said to him, you can move into us, but two rules. One, you cut your hair. And two, you go to church. And Jimmy was only too happy to do both. It wasn't too long after he moved in that Russell suddenly died. 
And Jimmy would stay on living there with B for the next six years, taking care of the house and helping to take care of her. He was able to get back into school and graduate high school and then go to college and get his college degree and then head off to Nashville in order to pursue his dream. And he made it big. He made it big. But as time went on until 2010, he got to thinking about all those teenage boys and girls, all those teenagers just like him who are living on the streets. His greatest pain, to have lost his family and to be alone, homeless, he couldn't forget. And he decided it was time to do something about it. So in 2010, he decided to walk from Nashville to Phoenix, 1,700 miles and to try to lift up everywhere he went about the foster care system and wanting to raise the age for kids to be able to have a place to live, to call attention to it. And so as he would walk down the road, I mean, sometimes blinding snow and sometimes scorching heat, it took months. As he would head down the road, he'd finally make a mark at the end of the day. Then he might be picked up and they'd fly him to where he's giving a concert. And that night at the concert, all the fans are screaming, Everyone wants their picture taken with you. Everyone wants an autograph. And then he'd come back the next day and pick up where he left. And he said, you'd walk down the street. And now people looked at him and thought he was homeless. And when he'd walk down the street because people thought he was homeless, he said they wouldn't look at the stranger. And it was so strange to go from being a superstar at night where everyone wanted your autograph and take your picture and then walk down the street and no one would look at you. Everywhere he went, he tried to talk about the foster care system. He's helped get laws changed in several states now, raising the age to 21. He wrote the book, Walk to Beautiful, about this very issue. And now he's helping to build this very large home for all these boys who who are orphans and who have aged out of the foster care system. He said, it's my life calling. It's out of his greatest pain that he knows how to be kind. Because he understands. It's out of your greatest pain that you know how to be kind to the stranger. For Jimmy Wayne... He looks back on his life and he remembers. Who he remembers is a sixth grade teacher who just took this little boy under her wing who was going through so much and taught him how to write and to put down his feelings. He remembers a counselor when he tried to go back to high school who got him back in and enabled him to finish his degree. And of course he thinks of, of B. B. Costner who gave him a job, something cold to drink, and invited him in. He said, these are my heroes because these are the people who saved my life because they chose to be unusually kind to a stranger. It's what God asks out of us to be unusual kindness to show unusual kindness to the stranger. Because Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, all people will know 
You're my disciples. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.